Okay, hop on your feet and grab your Bibles and buckle your seatbelts. We're in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read a verse, and I'm going to preach to you today and hopefully uh, share with you what the Lord has put on my heart and how He's been dealing with me over the last year or so. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. We'll read it, then we'll pray, and you can be seated. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From the time, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Here was his first message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Will you read that with me? Jesus' first message. You ready? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Father, we thank you for this day, for the opportunity to open your word. Let it change us. Let it be implanted deeply within us. We don't want to stay the same, Lord. We want to be transformed into your image. We want to be who you've called us to be, Lord. And and the greatest thing is you want that for us even more than we do. So help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turn around, slap somebody before you're seated, elbow them, high five them, right hook, left hook, throw a Floyd or a Mayweather or something on them. Kentucky Derbyum, whatever. <laughs> Today, in the remaining minutes that we have, I want to talk about the kingdom of God. Shout the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. I want to talk about the kingdom of God for two reasons. First of all, because that's what Jesus talked about. More than any other thing, Jesus came to earth to talk about and even to bring to pass, to bear the kingdom of God. So that's why I want to talk about it. The second reason I want to talk about it is because I really believe that the world is suffering because we don't know how to be the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is simply the rule of God. The gracious, benevolent lordship, leadership, and rule of a good and loving God. And the world is suffering because you and I don't know how to be the kingdom of God. We have a misunderstanding of the nature of the kingdom of God. And when and how it's coming and what it looks like. And I think that that misunderstanding has done more to impede the progress of society than anything else. So I want to talk about the kingdom. Because Jesus, when he came to earth, didn't come to earth to bring people to heaven. Jesus came to earth to bring heaven to earth. Jesus is not so much interested in getting you out of here but getting all that he is and all that he brings here on this planet. And so the saving and the redeeming of humanity was not so much so that we could get saved and get translated out of here, but so that we could be saved and redeemed so that we could be redeemed redeemers and join with God as he restores all of creation. The kingdom of God, shout the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, listen, my message is this, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he didn't say repent as in, repent, you low-down, dirty scoundrels, you good-for-nothing worms. That wasn't what he was saying. The word repent means change your mind. Change the way you look at things and everything you thought you knew and thought you understood about life and about what it means to be human and what mission and purpose and values means. Change all of that because there is something that has come that forces, that opens a door for you to see something you couldn't previously know and it's called the kingdom of God. 
So Jesus said, repent. So I want to give you a little bit of doctrine of this is what the kingdom of God is, and then some real practical stuff of how you and I can be the kingdom, because that's what we've learned in Washington, D.C., is there's no substitute, there's no amount of preaching and prophesying and worshiping that you can do from just flat being the kingdom of God everywhere you are and everywhere you go. And so let's talk about the nature of the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God like? Because that's what Jesus talked about. I want to give you a few words that describe what the nature of the kingdom of God is. Remember, the kingdom of God, just the gracious rule of God that has come to earth. It's Jesus himself. What is the nature of the kingdom? First of all, it is in-breaking. Everybody shout in-breaking. That means that the kingdom of God is such that it is, Jesus said, at hand. It's not far away. It's not out of reach, but it's at hand. It's right here. It is upon us. It breaks into every situation, every walk of life, into everybody's stuff. Jesus uses terms like the kingdom of God is, suffers violence and the violent take it by force because it, it breaks into our situation. Isaiah said the kingdom, the government of God is increasing. It's ever increasing. It's never diminishing. It's always growing larger and larger. There's a concept in theology that says the kingdom is an already but not yet kingdom. It's already here because Jesus has come, but we don't see it yet in its fullness. Because there will come a day when Jesus does physically, bodily return to this planet. And when he puts his feet on this planet, then the kingdom of God will be fully manifested. And this world that we look outside on days like today and say, man, that tree is beautiful. Those flowers are gorgeous. This weather is incredible. We look at it as pretty as it is, and we know that it is still under a curse. The curse of sin. But when Jesus returns and that curse is lifted, you've not seen a flower till you see a redeemed flower. Because Jesus does care about the planet, and he cares about the universe and all of humanity because he created it. And one day he will liberate it from its curse, just like you and I have been liberated from the curse of sin. The kingdom of God is suddenly, it is now, it is immediate, it is proximate. It is here, it is in breaking. The other word I want to give you is the word upside down. Everybody shout upside down. This threw everybody for a loop because Jesus said his kingdom was, in terms of its power structure, it was upside down. He said things like, the first will be last. And those who are least are really the greatest. Just a little verses down from where we read, he looks at the crowd on the Mount of, uh, of Olives and he says, Happy, blessed are those who are poor in spirit and those who are mourning and those who have been rejected. He's looking at the people all around him and he's saying, this is, for the, this is who the kingdom of God has come for. Not the greatest, but the least. It's an upside down kingdom where the common, ordinary has become the tools that God uses instead of the elite. It's an inside-out kingdom. Everybody shout inside-out. So when Jesus came, he took the whole concept of religion and relationship with God and turned it inside-out. That means he took the people who were on the inside, who had the, the corner on God, and he thrust them out the door. And he took the prostitutes and the sinners and the harlots and he brought them on the inside. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinners. I came to welcome those who at least have enough sense to know they need God. He said, this is an inside-out kingdom. It's not like the old, uh, the old law that you're used to that's more concerned about the outside and can be a whitewashed tomb. But this is a kingdom of the heart where 
The fundamental issues of life are to bear, not just outward complicity, not just complying on the outside, but God's kingdom comes and it hits us right in the heart. And, and in the words of, of the prophet Ezekiel, he says, I will take out their heart of stone and I will put in them a heart of flesh. That, that they're not going to know me by what they read on tablets of stone, but they're going to know me on the inside. The kingdom is an inside-out kingdom. It's a forward-back kingdom. Shout forward-back. Forward now this is interesting because the kingdom of God will one day be fully expressed and fully consummated at a future date when Jesus returns, right? But you and I, because He has come, we have tasted of the kingdom that yet will be. We have the Holy Spirit, God Himself, living on the inside of us, bringing His healing and His power and His restoration. We who have been far from God now have been brought near to God, and the kingdom of God has broken into our lives. It's a forward back because that which will be, we've already received a taste of it right now. How can you be happy in an unhappy situation? How can you have peace in the middle of the storm? How can you have freedom when the world is bound? Because the kingdom of God that is forward has come backward and visited us in our day. Amen. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the last thing about the kingdom, as we understand this, it's important that we understand it. This is all that Jesus talked about was the kingdom of God, is that it is countercultural. Shout countercultural. In terms of the influence of the kingdom of God, it's countercultural in two ways. Sometimes the kingdom of God is countercultural in that it runs ahead of culture in the way that culture is moving, but it runs so far ahead that it's counter the culture. Let me give you an example. As it relates to women, the culture of Jesus' day did not value women, they were just above slaves. But the kingdom of God is countercultural in that Jesus welcomed women. His greatest followers and first evangelists were women. He empowered them far above the culture there so that even in the early church we see women apostles and women prophets. And, and he did more for the cause of women. This backwards notion that religion sets women back is so far from Scripture. Because the kingdom of God is countercultural in that sometimes it runs way ahead of culture in slaves. Even though there were slaves in biblical times, the conditions for the Christians and their slaves was far ahead of those who were not believers. And sometimes it's countercultural, though, in that the kingdom of God swims against culture. And we see this in terms of something like the sexual ethic, where in the day that Jesus lived, there was a, a, it was the Greco-Roman culture, and it was whatever, however, whenever, with whomever. Much like our day. But the kingdom of God starts in the Old Testament. You see it with a kind of a wide open where you got, you know, patriarchs with a few wives, right? And Solomon with a lot of them, right? But as, but as you move through the narrative of Scripture into the New Testament, it gets more restrictive, the sexual ethic across Scripture gets more, it gets more restrictive, not more empowering. So with women, it gets more empowering. With sex, it gets more restrictive. So that Paul would say that sex is God's gift to a husband and wife, male and female, as complementary genders who come together in one flesh with the ability to bring life into the world. So sometimes it goes ahead of culture. Sometimes it goes against culture. 
It's the countercultural nature of the kingdom of God. Shout, I'm getting it, Pastor Dave. Stay with me. So I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5, and what I want to do for the remaining time that we have is I want us to look at, now that we have a a concept of the craziness of the kingdom of God, because it really is crazy. People look at you if you're living in the kingdom, and they say, I don't understand it. You give 10% of your money, and you never have financial, uh, God always provides for you. I keep 100% of my money, and I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. That doesn't make sense. Now, I want to give you four ways that we are to be the kingdom of God in the earth. Because this is what I know, is that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. And the greatest hindrance to the world knowing Jesus is that we don't know how to be the kingdom of God. Because if we were as countercultural, as upside down, as inside out, as forward back, as in-breaking, as Jesus in the kingdom of God, where we live, in our family, in our home, in our job, in our marriage then the world would have to face and come to bear and receive the goodness of the kingdom of God. So let's look at Matthew 5. I want to give you four ways that we are to be the kingdom of God right now. And what I want to say as a a precursor to this is that in Scripture, the uh, indicative, the imperative always flows from the indicative. What that means is that the commands as to how we are to live always come second from who we are to be. Jesus always begins with, this is who you are, this is who I've destined you to be, now live according to who you are. He never says, do this, do that, do that, and then you can be this. Right? It's not a works-based righteousness. It's a, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, now live like it. You are the light of the world, now let that light shine. Right? And so what I'm giving you is not a a checklist of this is what i got to do. But it's a, you are redeemed. You are the kingdom of God on the earth. This is how we are to live. Matthew chapter 5. This is a familiar passage for you. It says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. I'm going to give you four examples of what it means to be the kingdom of God. Two of them are metaphors. Two of them are similes. Two of them are open and overt. And two of them are covert and hidden. And less likely to see. He said, You're the salt of the earth. Look at what he says. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The first way we're to be the kingdom of God is to be salt. If you're taking notes, write salt. If not, shout salt. He says, you, the common people. Remember, Jesus is surrounded by his followers who were the common people of that day. The poor in spirit, the mourning, the broken, the persecuted, the meek. And he says, you, he pulls someone out of the crowd. He says, you. You common, ordinary person with no philosophical or theological or religious training or pedigree or social elite class, you normal, average Joe are the salt. Are, not will be, not at some point when you get your stuff together, but right now because I am in front of you. Because, see, Jesus determines who we are, how we are to be, and the kingdom of God and everything in terms of proximity to Him. He redefines all of life in terms of relationship with Him. So it's not about what you do or how you live. It's about how close you are to Him. He says, you are, common, ordinary person, the salt of the earth, because I'm standing right here and the kingdom of God has come and you're in relationship with me. He said, you are the salt 
of the earth. Now, salt is a, is a preservative. It prevents decay, decay in that day. Now, today, we'd like to shake it on our food, and it does add flavor. But in that day, without refrigeration, they would rub it into the meat, and it would slow the process of decay. And all the people sitting there knew that. And he said, you common people slow the process of decay. Well, if he says you're the salt of the earth, and that means the earth is in a state of decay. That the earth left to itself under the curse of sin is decaying. Our values are decaying. Our morals are decaying. Our, our worldview, the things that are, that are really important, we don't deem as important. And Christians, the ordinary people, because of their relationship with Jesus, he says, are the salt. The one that prevents the decay. He said, but if the salt's lost its taste, then how can it be effective? Now this is interesting because it's actually impossible for salt to lose its taste. Sodium chloride is one of the strongest ionic bonds. It's impossible for salt not to be salty. Except that in that time, the salt itself wouldn't lose its taste, but it could get mixed with other elements and other materials so as that, it, that its effectiveness would be diminished. It wouldn't be able to function according to who it is because it got mixed with stuff that ain't the same stuff. Jesus said, you're, or, you're salt, but if you get mixed with things that you're not supposed to be mixed with, you're not going to be effective in what I've called you to do. Yeah. Salt was also supposed to bring the flavor. So I'm giving you four things, right? I'm going to tell you some real practical stuff. As a Christian, how do I be the kingdom of God? How do I be salt? Bring the party. Look at somebody say, bring the party. Now, this is kind of ironic because as Christians, we're known to be party poopers, right? But a Jesus was a party animal. Jesus was at every party with the most unlikely people doing the most unlikely things. Jesus wasn't doing the things, but the people were doing the things, right? <laughs> and, and one of the things I think that he meant by saying be the salt is that we are to bring the party and the life to every situation. We are to add value. We are to engage people who don't know Jesus in a way that adds zest and innovation and fun and cheer and encouragement preserving that which, that which is good and supporting and undergirding those things that are good. Finding common ground with people and injecting life and salt. Let me ask you this. Does your neighborhood, does your cubicle, does your classroom, does your floor on which you work, does your shift, does it taste better because you're there? Jesus said, this is how the, my kingdom has come. It's when ordinary people bring the party. Look at somebody and say, bring the party. <laughs> Represent the kingdom. But, but listen, don't tell anybody you're a Christian if you look like you've been sucking on a lemon and you've got a sour attitude and you don't know how to treat anybody. Just go ahead and tell them you're a Muslim or, or a Buddhist or an atheist or something like that. Don't tell them you represent the king of parties when you come and bring a somber attitude and some critical judgmental finger that you're pointing. Come and bring life. And you don't got to say nothing. Just live it. He says your life is the salt. Number two, light. He goes on to say, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, and it gives light to all the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's interesting because Jesus in John chapter 8 says, I'm the light. But then he looks at these ordinary people who are really not anything in society. And he says, you are the light of the world. It was as if to say that your light is contingent upon being in relationship with the light. And when you're connected with the light, you are light. 
regardless of how smart, beautiful, successful, accomplished you are. He says, you're the light of the world. Paul would even confirm this in Ephesians. And he says, you were darkness, but now you are light. Not you were in darkness and now you are in light. He said, you used to be darkness, everything about you. But now you are light. You can't help but be who you are. What does light do? But it exposes darkness and it illuminates the way. We are to be brokers of hope to those all around us. You know, when you or I walk in as a follower of Jesus Christ, people should feel like there's a hope. They may have been facing a hopeless situation. They may have gotten the wrong diagnosis. Their marriage may be messed up. Their kids may be jacked up. They may have, you know, uh, money troubles. But when we walk in the door, they say, there's hope. Because we're the light. Now, we got some people who think their job as the light is just to point dark, 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 dark. Dark. Do you have to walk in a room and say, dark? You just flip on the switch and say, light, right? Just shine. We should bring possibility and ideas and and good. And light in Scripture always represents health and vitality and, and guidance and solutions. My God, can we get some Christians who have solution mindedness? Not problem-diagnosing Christians, but solution-oriented Christians who when they walk... Good, I'm so glad Bill's here because, man, we know we're going to get this thing fixed as he brings hope. He brings light. I'm so glad so-and-so's on my shift today because I know whatever we go through, there's going to be some hope. Bring the hope. Look at somebody say, bring the hope. Listen, you want to be salt and light, you want to be the kingdom of God everywhere you are, bring the party and bring the hope. Be salt and be light everywhere you go. Do people see a better future because you're around? They should if the kingdom has truly come to you. Now these are are open, overt things that we can see light and we can taste salt. Amen? The Jesus in you, it's, it's more instantaneous. It's right now. It happens. You flip on a light switch, bam, the whole room is eliminated. You put salt on your food, you can taste the zest. You can taste the flavor. Now, there are two more that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 13. Flip over there to Matthew chapter 13. And these are still, these are, are, um, these are similes where he says the kingdom of heaven is like. But these are not as obvious. These aren't as overt. These are more subtle ways. But they're subtle and they're long-term, but they're very, very powerful. And look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. He says in verse 31, he put another parable before them. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like. Remember, Jesus just overwhelmingly talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That's what he was talking about. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like what? A grain of mustard seed. That a man took and sowed in his field, and it's the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, everybody shout, when it is grown. So we don't like to wait for it to grow. We want to plant it and reap it, bless God. Because we shouted three times, touched four people, did a circle, had somebody lay their hand on us, brother, wonderful, prophesy over us. And that seed should already be up out of the ground, ready to harvest. I feel a little bit of Bible Belt Southernness coming back at me. I feel a little Pentecostal preach coming. No. <laughs> Jesus said, this seed is planted, man, but when it has fully grown, 
It's the smallest of seeds. When it's fully grown, look at what he says. It is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus is speaking to the kingdom of God and it's working in believers so that we see potential. We cultivate possibility in others. We have a stewardship. The kingdom of God has been given to us not for consumption, but for stewardship. When you get a seed, you'd be a fool to pick that seed up, put it in your mouth, crunch on it, that's it. It's over, right? What do you do? You plant it, and then you cultivate it. You water it, you nurture it, you give it the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of water, and you cultivate it because if you eat the seed, it's over. But if you cultivate the seed till it becomes a plant and a tree, then it's a benefit to you and to everyone around you perpetually. Seed, everybody shout, I'm a seed. And Jesus is speaking to the power of small things. I don't like small things. I like big things. I wish our church in D.C. was bigger. I don't like small things. I like big things. In D.C., everybody drives a Prius. I don't like Prius. I'm a big old boy. I like a big vehicle. But I had to trade my XL Ford Expedition XLTEL, extra length, for a little Buick Enclave crossover so that I could park parallel on every street in Washington, D.C. Because I like big, nobody likes small things, but here's the deal everything big starts as something small. Nothing great ever started big, everything great started small. Jesus said, You're the kingdom of God, the people of God, we are never in the majority. If we are, we're wrong. We're not the people of God. We're the seed, right? But the seed is powerful in that it can grow. And it may not be the majority, but the majority will find hope and rest in the branches of the tree that is the kingdom of God. We should be resourcing and growing and developing people. And here's the little catchphrase for this one. Who are, how are we to be the kingdom of God? Number three, bring the progress. When you walk into the room, things should progress. People should feel resourced and equipped. They should feel a little more able to do what they're, they're doing. Because the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is a progressing, increasing kingdom. We should bring the progress wherever we go. Ask yourself this question. How can I develop, cultivate, resource, progress this person, this organization, this group, this company, this block? Say, well, I'm... I'm just one person, Pastor D. How can I do that? I love the the quote that says, to the world, you may be just one person. But to one person, you may be the world. If you're a seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed. And then look at what he says in the next one. This is our last one that we're going to look at today. He says, he told them another parable in verse 33 of Matthew 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Everybody shout leaven. That a woman, and I love this, because look, he's talking about women, man. Jesus is the most female-friendly, female-promoting. He should be the champion poster boy of the feminist cause. Jesus was anything but repressive to women. He said, so the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid. Look at what he says. Hid 
circle the word hid. Everybody say hid. Like when it has grown. This is the same point. Hid. You can't see it. Hid in three measures of flour. This is about 50 pounds of flour. A little measure and 50 pounds of flour till it was all leavened. Number four, how are we to be the kingdom? We are leaven. This speaks to our influence. He says, you, the, she took just a little bit of influence and put it in 50 pounds of flour, a little bit of leaven and 50 pounds of flour, and the whole flour was impacted by that little bit of leaven. This deals with the pervasive nature of the kingdom of God, the incremental nature of the kingdom of God. You see, we want the kingdom of God in its fullness right now. Right? That's what I signed up for. You want me to cross the line? You want me to commit to Jesus? Then I want it all, baby. I want the big, I want it now. I want my marriage. I want my, right? And we fool people when we tell them that's what Jesus came to give. Baloney. Jesus is not going to give you the whole enchilada. Jesus is going to give you a bean. <laughs> and he's going to say, work that bean, cultivate that bean. And then you could write. Because the kingdom of God is, is incremental. It comes little by little. They didn't take, get the whole promised land at one time. They got it army by army, step by step, foot in front of the other, right? But they got the whole thing. It's pervasive. The kingdom of God is pervasive. It's like leaven because it is effective. It is a, leaven is a, is a rising agent. It's a rising agent. It modifies and transforms that to which it has been implanted to make it better. It is catalytic. Everybody shout catalytic. That means it, it connects things that shouldn't be connected so that it rises the whole thing. And here's number four. How are you to be the kingdom of God? Bring the lift. Look at somebody say bring the lift. Bring the party. Right? What else are you going to bring? Bring the hope. Bring the progress. And bring the lift. When you walk in the room, the kingdom of God has showed up. Don't you like that Southeast Texas? It showed up. The kingdom of God has shown up. And that means that there should be, uh, you're the catalyst that causes people to be connected and the whole thing to lift. It's a supernatural effect that transforms something. It's incremental. It's just slow. But you've just been on that job, just punching that clock, just being light, being salt, being seed, being leaven. And before you know it, the whole atmosphere around it looks better. The whole atmosphere around you looks, has been lifted. Why? It didn't happen at first. It was slow. It was incremental. Ask yourself this. Where and how is God working? And how can I bring the lift to that situation? Now, I want you to know a couple of things about this, and we're going to close. About these four ways that you and I are to be the kingdom of God. First of all, all of these three, or all of these four things were small and seemingly insignificant. But all of them were far-reaching, were pervasive, were powerful in their influence and their effect. And then all of them are pictures of Jesus. Jesus is the salt that preserves the earth. He is the light that has come in to illuminate darkness. And to point the way. Jesus is the seed of God that was planted into the earth. That became the tree that all of us find our refuge in. 
Jesus is the leaven, the one man, the one God-man sprinkled into the 50 pounds of flour of the earth and all of humanity that has catalyzed and redeemed and transformed all who would come in contact with him so that he would lift all of humanity, restoring it to God and to its intention. And he is designed for you and I to follow him. All of these things are our opportunity because of Jesus. Now, why does this matter? You may say, that's great, Pastor. You bring the party, bring the hope, bring the progress, bring the lift. Why, why does this matter? To me, right now, Beaumont, Texas at 1059. Because fulfillment flows from function. Your fulfillment in life is directly connected to how you function or if you function or if you're dysfunctional. Jesus is saying, you are salt, you are light. You, uh, there is nothing more frustrating than, than depending on something to function in the way that it was created to function and it not functioning. When you pick up that remote control and you press that button, you expect miraculously for that TV. There ain't no knobs on TVs anymore where you can walk up and change it. If that remote doesn't work, you are out of luck. Right? When you get on the internet, you expect that Wi-Fi to connect and instantly the world is at your fingertips, right? When it doesn't work, you get mad because you're counting on it to function in the way that it was created to function and you're saying, this is who you are. You are Wi-Fi. You are a remote control. Function, right? There's fulfillment when things function according to their person. There's fulfillment for the person or the object that is functioning. They're fulfilled because they're functioning. But also everybody who's counting on that person to function in the way they were created to function is fulfilled when they function in that way. Jesus is saying you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're the seed. You're the leaven. There is no such thing as salt that isn't salt. There's no such thing as light that doesn't shine. He said let your light shine. Let your salt be tasted. Let that seed be planted. Let that leaven work its way through the lump because the world is counting on you to function in the way that God has destined for you to function. And when you don't function that way, you can't be fulfilled. And when you don't function that way, the world can't see who Jesus is. Shout, I want to function. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, said this. He said, there is nothing in God's kingdom, in God's universe, that is so utterly useless than a merely formal Christian. Than a Christian who's just a Christian in name. He said, there's nothing in God's universe so utterly useless than a Christian who is only a Christian in name, who doesn't function. He says the formal Christian knows enough about Christianity to spoil the world for him, but he doesn't know enough about it for it to be of any positive value. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not grovel over your sin, but change your mind. Realize that what God has called you to be and who He's called you, what He's called you to do is so countercultural. It is so inbreaking, inside out, upside down, forward, back, that you've got to change the way you think to function as the salt and the light, because the kingdom of God is at hand. When someone reaches out because they see a glimmer 
of something that looks like it belongs to another world, another age, something greater and more transcendent than what they have. They should be able to reach out and grab it in you, reach out and taste it in you, reach out and see it in you, reach out and feel the lift and the progress and the hope. Because you and I are there. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, he says, the kingdom of God. He says, he says this, he said, look, the Pharisee says, well, when are we going to see the kingdom? When's the kingdom going to come? Right? Don't you know the Pharisees were the only people that Jesus ever really rebuked? He says, they're not going to say, look, here it is, or there, behold, the kingdom. Of, because, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The King James says, the kingdom of God is within you. They're not going to look and say, oh, that's the kingdom, or that's where it should be, or when is it coming, or in the sweet by and by, or when we all get to heaven. He says, look, the kingdom of God that I have come to bring, I have conferred upon you, and it is within you. So that the Apostle Peter would, would later say, as he is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are we in this world and to this world. So I came from Washington, D.C. to Beaumont, Texas to tell you, Triumph Beaumont, bring it. Bring the party. Bring the hope. Bring the progress. Bring the lift. The city of Beaumont is looking for you to function in the way that you were created to function. You're going to be fulfilled when you do it. They're going to be fulfilled when you do it. Bring God's kingdom in Beaumont on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about how much you know. It's not about how holy you are. It's not about how many days you fast or how long you speak in tongues or if you make church every single week. It's about are you in relationship with the kingdom who is a person? And if the kingdom of God in the face of Jesus Christ lives within you, let your light shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. But let it shine. I want you to bow your heads and let me pray for you today. And I want you to consider what is your... Maybe even ask yourself this question. What is my greatest opportunity right now as it relates to these four uh, examples, these metaphors and similes? Do I have a, a, a great example that I can think of right now that it's my, God's calling me, you just need to bring the party. Just listen. Don't worry about diagnosis. Just bring the party. Or is God saying, nope, your role there is to be hope. Now you're going to be all of them, but right now, where you are, what is God calling you to do? Do you need to progress some situation or some person bring them to their next level or is God calling you just to lift the situation it's gotten heavy it's gotten gloomy it's gotten oppressive and you're there you don't have to shout and turn around three times and talk until you just got to stand there and because the kingdom of God is upon you because the kingdom of God is within you because the kingdom of God flows through you the lift has got to come now I want you to bow your heads and let me pray over you today father in Jesus name I pray that each person who has received this word with gladness and it's been planted deeply within their heart, I pray that you would cause us to repent, to change our mind, to change our, our worldview, the things that we, that, that we are walking through and the lenses through which we look. God, help us to see that the kingdom of God has come. 
And I know that there is a massive harvest right here in Beaumont, Texas. But it's not going to come because some special preacher comes to town. And it's not going to come within the four walls of this church. But it's going to start because the people in this building go out of this building and represent what they've experienced in this building and make a difference everywhere they are. So Jesus, I pray that you would help them bring the kingdom of God to bear. All of us to function according to who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.